Welcome to Activate Church Podcast, and thanks for listening. We hope this message helps you, and we pray that God speaks to you through this week's message. Awesome. Well, as I said, it is great to, um, to have you guys here, and uh, a very big and special welcome to all the mums that are here. And uh, we, we, I mean... You know, we really uh, appreciate you even making it here today, um, considering uh, the, the crazy weather that we've had outside. As you know, Sarah and I have been on holidays and had a great time away. We went to Central Australia. It was warm. And then we came home and we came here. We came home and we came here. And uh, I tell you, I, I actually took a photo while we're away, and I've got that uh, for you this morning. Now, I understand that I, I'm, I'm not a mum, and you would probably understand that too, but I've just had this one photo that I wanted to show you guys from our trip away. We went to Central Australia, and while we were there, we um, decided to do some, some hiking and so forth. Now, as I said, I, I'm not a mum, but I just want you to check this photo out. Here we are. And if you can see what I'm wearing, I think it's called a hugabub. Okay? Now, the thing about the hugabub is the baby sits right on you. You can't really see Sarah's face too well there, but there's our daughter, Eliana. And we went on a six, it was, I think it was about a six kilometer hike, you know, and uh, up and down. And for six hours, um, I, I, I wore. Eliana in in and out. That's our daughter's name. I, I wore her in the hugabub, and I felt so sorry for her because when we got to where we were going, the poor little thing had sweat all, all over her, but she drooled all over me too. So for six hours, you know, we kind of had that that experience, and I, you you know. Because I was wearing it for so long, I've never felt like a pregnant woman before. But I have to be honest. When I had her strapped to my stomach, I found myself often just rubbing my belly and, and, and doing this. And I wasn't even aware of my own mannerisms, right? But have you ever seen a pregnant woman just sort of stand like that, like they're arching their back and they just sort of rub their belly? I did that. And so this is as close as I will ever get, I think, to, to being a mum. But it was, it was great and we had a great time and uh, we are so glad to, to be back. I had to get into some uh, study during the week, of course, to you know, think about what we were going to talk about today. And uh, I got up and boy, was my brain just not into gear. Do you know your brain has a gear? And uh, mine was in the lowest one imaginable. So, uh, you know, it's just sort of getting back into the groove of things. But it is so great to be back at church. And it is so great to be standing in a place where we can worship God. And I just love worship. It's so great to be. Don't we have a great band? I just love these guys. And uh, this is the first service where I've seen our very own Dan Lee, wherever he is, on the drums. And... Um, and so that was a treat for me. So I was very glad about all of that. Well, it's Mother's Day and I want to talk to you about uh, mums. 
So I want to speak to you, not just about mums, but I want to speak to you about really about uh, women in general. Before I do that, uh, why don't I pray and then we can get stuck into it. Father, we just thank you so much for today. God, that you're in this place. And Lord, we just love worshipping you. God, I pray that today as we're standing here, no matter what our experience has been, um, you know, and, and, and what experiences we've had in life, sometimes Mother's Day can be something that, you know, um, brings up or can drag up negative sort of memories or, or, or things that we've sort of struggled with in our past if we haven't had a great relationship with our, uh, with our daughters or with our mums. And so, Father, I just pray that today your peace would just become, come upon our church, God. I pray, Lord, that as we're here, and as we're worshiping you, we would just, you know, really uh, see and understand that as we celebrate mothers on this day, that it, Lord, it really is such a, a, a privilege uh, to be able to uh, have children. And Lord, whatever our experience has been, God, I pray that, Lord, we would just celebrate. Uh, I pray we celebrate mums today. I pray that we'd celebrate the whole day and just enjoy it for what it is. I pray, God, that today, even as we look at your word, that God, it would just reflect some of your glory. And so, God, we just commit this day to you in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. You know what? The truth is, I'm just happy that some of you guys even made it today because last night when I went to sleep, uh, it, it didn't seem like it was raining too bad, but I woke up in the middle of the night and man, was it pouring down. Who likes to go to sleep while the rain is just thundering on the roof, right? I love it. And, and there's something, if my bed felt snug when it rains, it increases the snugness. I'm not sure if that's a word. I just made it up, but, but it increases the snugness because I feel warm. I feel cozy. It was raining. You know, it, it was like, you know, have you ever heard that term? It's like raining cats and dogs. If, if, if it was raining cats and dogs, well, that is exactly what it felt like last night. Coincidentally, do you know where that term raining cats and dogs comes from? So some of you would probably know this, but, but you know, let me tell you anyway, raining cats and dogs, you know, we don't live in houses with thatched roofs. Some of you might, I don't, but, but we, don't, we don't really live in houses with thatched roofs. And so what would happen is when the rain was just belting down and, 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 uh, and, and the, some of the animals um, that, were, that were, you know, around cats and dogs and so forth, they, they hated the fact that they would have to sort of be out in the rain and in the weather. So what they do is they'd sort of get up into the sort of attic area below the thatched roof and they'd stay in that space to stay warm and, and to stay dry. But on occasion when it would rain really bad and, and, and really hard, uh, you know, that sometimes the animals and, and with the weight of the rain and everything, that would just break through into the house. And when that happened, people would say it's raining cats and dogs and hence the term raining cats and dogs. Now, you guys would have heard that before, but you may not have known where it came from, but it's just something you grew up with, isn't it? And it's so funny how oftentimes we grow up with little phrases and we just repeat them. But we don't really know what they mean. And sometimes we don't even really know what, where they come from. It just forms part of our culture. And sometimes when you don't challenge the culture, you just accept as fact information and you just regurgitate. It just goes over in your head. Let me try another one on and please don't throw anything at me. You ready for this? Women. All I had to say was that one word and you know what's coming next. Can't live with them. Can't live without them. You've heard that. You didn't invent it, did you? Not one man in this place will ever claim that he invented that phrase. 
But you've heard that women can't live with them, can't live without them. It's something that you've learned. It's something that you've heard growing up. It might have even been something that your parents said or something that your dad said. And you've just heard that. And so you've used that phrase. You would be surprised what you have learned and regurgitated in your life and accepted in your culture as just fact. It would be, it would be so surprising to you. And my whole premise for today's message is this that I think that we have grown up in a culture where the truth is there's been a glass ceiling for women in our, in, in, in our culture. And, and you know, there, there's been limitations that's been put on women and particularly and absolutely not just in the world, but in church. And I think that all of these limitations that are there, I do not believe that they are there as a result of God's desire. But I think that they're there as a result of a curse. So go with me and let me tell you the story. And you already know part of this story. You've probably heard it a million times, but it all goes back to Genesis, doesn't it? We start there. God created Adam and he created Eve. And you know, when he created Eve, actually, he said that Eve would come and be man's helper. And I always think that that sounds pretty awesome, that, that, that Sarah would be my helper, that she would look after me. But actually, the word helper is a word that God uses to describe the way that he helps mankind. I often say this at weddings because when I say this, it helps to redefine the role that perhaps wives are supposed to play in a relationship, in, in, in a marriage. And if you think that your, your spouse is supposed to help you the same way that God helps you, well, boy, that really makes you think about the role that they're supposed to have, it makes you think about the way that they're supposed to help you. And, and so, you know, the story, Adam created, uh, so God created Adam and Eve and she was his helper. And then one day they're out in the garden and, you know, Eve comes and, you know, she's hanging around the tree. And where was Adam, by the way? He was meant to be looking after his wife. He didn't do a very good job, did he? And so here she is, he's, she's hanging out by the tree. Anytime you see someone talking with a serpent, you just know that that's not good news. So she's talking with the serpent. I don't know where Adam is. She takes the apple, she eats it. She says, Adam, you're going to try this. This is fantastic. You know, he says, okay. He eats it too. Immediately they sin before God. And as you know, as soon as you know, they sin, they decided to hide from God. Further proof that sin makes you dumb. Uh, you can't hide from God. I mean, let's hide from God. I mean, where are you going to go? Seriously, where are you going to go? So they decide to hide from God. God comes walking through the garden, finds them, and he says, listen, this is the curse that you've brought upon yourself. And when he begins to talk about the curse, he says to, the, uh, to Eve, he says, woman, he says, you will have pain and greatly increased will be the pain during childbirth. How many women appreciate Eve right now? None of the mums. So greatly will your pain be increased during childbirth and your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. I think that the idea that the husband will rule over the wife in, in, in that way, in the way that women would become more subjective to men, I think that that's something that we have seen played out in our culture from this point forwards. Now, if you don't believe me, what I thought I'd do today is have the liberty of preparing some information for you. So why don't we just look at a few interesting stats and we can see where this has played out over history. So let's look at the first one. 
Women make up 50% of the population. First of all, that's just astounding to me. Because you'd think that at some point in history that it would blow out to 80, 20. But actually, for, for a long, long time, women have actually been 50%, men 50%. So I find that a staggering statistic. But 50% of the global population are women. Two-thirds of all Christians are women, statistically. So if you're here today, you're not a Christian and you're a single man, get involved. <laughs> the odds are in your favour. You will do well in church. You may not do well in the world. It's 50-50. In here, you're going to do just fine. So give your life to Jesus and get on with it. But, let me, but let, me, uh, let me ask you a question, all right? Let me ask you a question. And this is the question I posed. What would happen if the global community embraced women leaders? What would happen if the global community really embraced women leaders? Gee, I wonder. You know, actually, cultures all around the world have actually kept women sort of where they are for, for various reasons. And uh, if you look even within Jewish culture, in Jewish culture, they have, uh, they have the Torah. And then what they would do is they'd write commentaries. So the rabbis would write commentaries. And you can get these and get a hold of them and look at them. And one of the commentaries that they wrote was the, was the Talmud, right? So let me just show you the, the Talmud. And this is really interesting. The Talmud says that 100 women are worth two men. Uh, yeah, 100 women are worth two men. So if you work that out, it's like women are worth 2% of the value of a man. How does that sit with you, ladies? Not good, does it? But this is the culture, and this is the era, and this is the time of Jesus, and this is why it's really important to look at what Jesus did when he came along. But anyway, let's just keep moving. In fact, you say, well, that sounds like an oppressive Jewish culture, you know. But hang on, wait a minute. Did you know that even within Christian history, that we have our own history of where men have subjugated women? Do you know that there are, on many occasions, not across all of Christianity, but there have been many times in history where women have been kept in their place. And I looked for a quote that I felt would accurately represent what I'm talking about, and I found a really bad one, all right? So I didn't write this, don't hate on me, but let me read this to you. All right, so this is some parts of our own Christian history. Woman is an embarrassment to men. A beast in his quarters, a continual worry, a never-ending trouble, a daily annoyance, the destruction of a household, a hindrance to solitude. Boy, he wasn't short on words, was he? The undoing of a virtuous man, an oppressive burden, an insatiable bee. Who even speaks like that? A man's property and possession. And that was written by St. Bonaventure, who lived 1221 to 1274. And it wouldn't mean much except that he was ordained by the Pope and was actually called a doctor of Christianity. How can a doctor be so dumb? I don't know. But this, is, this was a, a man of great influence, and this is what he wrote. And here's what's really sad about all of this. Did you know that at many points in history that where Jewish and, and, and Christian culture should have looked to God to find out uh, the role of women and perhaps how he's created them to be, but actually Jewish and Christian culture at times in history has actually leaned to the Greek and the Roman philosophers. Did you know around the time when Jesus was on the earth that actually they had developed this idea that, that man, I think it was that man was basically created by the gods, but women were the evolutionary process and derived from donkeys. <laughs> Completely different species. 
and it just makes the mind boggle. Hey, guess what? This is human history. If you're here today and you're part of the human race, this is part of our history. Still think that that curse might have been invoked? I think so. Let's look at a couple of other interesting information. Women earn 74% less than men for the exact same role in the United States. There'll be 400 teen mums this year in the United States. And I'd love to believe that all the uh, men that got those women pregnant, that they would be there and stand by, you know, that, that teen mum. But, you know, the statistics tell us otherwise. How about this? One in three girls are sexually assaulted before maturity. And this is a really horrible one. 800,000 women will be beaten by their husbands in the next 12 months. A thousand of them will die statistically. How about some of the global stats? World Vision. They say in many countries, women eat only after the males are full. So it doesn't matter if you're a son or a father. As soon as you've eaten enough and when you're full, that's when the daughters and the wives can begin to eat. Oh boy, would that not work in my house? Just letting you know. Women are 50% of the population, yet they own statistically and globally 1% of its wealth. Girls are two times less likely to be educated. In Africa and the Middle East, 2 million girls are mutilated to diminish sexual desire and it, de- and it greatly increases not only the pain of childbirth, I mean as if it wasn't bad enough, but it also increases the risk of death during, um, during childbirth. Time magazine says that in Brazil, it's actually okay to kill an unfaithful wife. In Russia, office jobs can actually include sex with the boss as if it can be written into a position description. How about this? In India, parents and husbands sometimes conspire to kill their wife after the dowry is collected. And it's not isolated incidences because it's, very, it's going to get very hard to measure this statistic. But they say that there are 6,000 recorded cases per year and it's actually growing. What do you think about that curse, eh? In some nations, after being sexually abused, a woman can be put in prison while her attacker gets set free. Honor killings are on the increase. So just so you know what an honor killing is, is that if a, if a woman, um, whether she be a, a, a daughter or a wife, if she's dishonored the family in some way, you can get that honor back by killing them. And the most common way to kill um, and, and do an honor killing is either by pouring acid on your daughter or, or wife or um, burning them alive. That's the most common way to do it. And in fact, during some of my research, I, I, I found out and discovered that actually uh, one family that he invited his daughter had dishonored the family some way. By the way, when I say dishonor the family, it could be that that wife or daughter is just the subject of gossip and whether they're innocent or guilty, it actually makes no difference. If they're just the subject of gossip, if it brings shame upon the family, honor killings is something that uh, people can begin to invoke to, to get back that honor. So, so honor killings are increasing. And in one nation, they recorded that 350 women were killed this way. When I read some of these stats and this information, you know what I think? I just think it brings God to tears. I just, I just cannot believe in any way that this is the way that God wanted the world to go. There's just no way that this can be His purpose and His intention when He created Eve to be Adam's helper. So where do we begin? Well, I always think the best place to begin is to begin with God. I think that, the, that God actually has something to say about the subject that we're learning right now. 
You know, before when I said to you, um, women can't live with them, can't live without them. Do you know that that was a Greek and Roman thing that they would say? Do you know that's been around for thousands of years? How does that get passed down from generation to generation? You just sort of heard your, maybe your, your dad say it one time or your grandfather say it one time or something. But that's something that's been around for thousands and for thousands of years. You just regurgitated it and pass it on to the next generation. Do you know in Jewish culture, they have a prayer called uh, the Barak. And if you know what this prayer is, it sort of goes like this. Blessed is he who is not a Gentile. So, you know, if, if you and I, we're Gentiles, okay? So if you're not Jewish, you're, you're a Gentile. So he says, blessed is the man who is not a Gentile. Oh, blessed is the man who is not a woman. And blessed is the man who is not a slave. And every morning in Jewish culture, they would get up and they recite that prayer. You get out of bed, that's what you say. You kneel down. God, I thank you that I'm not a Gentile, I'm not a woman, and I'm not a slave. Now, you imagine this. You, you, you're married and the love of your life is crawling out of bed every morning just to thank God that they're not the gender that you are. I mean, just rever- if you're a man, just reverse it. Imagine if the women were getting out of bed and saying, thank God I'm not a man. And the men are getting out saying, thank God I'm not a woman. But this is the way it happened. No woman would ever, ever dare say that. It would just be the men that would actually get out and say, thank God. I am so blessed because I'm not a woman. And I'll tell you why it's really sad. Because actually Gentiles can convert. And slaves can become free. What do you do if you're a woman? You know the sad part? It actually sounds like a sentence more than it sounds like a pleasure or a privilege. And to me, I just think, my, my God, this cannot be true. This cannot be right. This cannot be the way that you made things to be. And in fact, this is what Jesus said. Jesus said, I have come to set those who are captive. I've come to set them free. And I'm telling you absolutely right now that for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, the women have been captive by culture, not by capacity, but by culture. And Jesus said, I'm going to come and I'm going to bring freedom. You know, Jesus, he said this to, the, uh, to some of the Pharisees that were uh, listening to him one day. He said, you know something you guys do? He goes, you honour your man-made traditions more than you honour the Word of God. In fact, you teach as doctrine the commandments of men. And when you begin to teach your culture as doctrine, you've begun to honour what you think over what God thinks. And you know, I just don't think this is the way that God intended it to be. In fact, when Jesus came, what He did is He lifted the curse. He actually broke the curse. And why did He do it? So He could set people that were captive free. And there are people that are held captive. What does it mean to be held captive? Well, you're held against your will. You know, I got this feeling that actually, if we went back over history and said to some of the women over history, do you ever feel like you were created for more, but you were never given opportunity because of the culture? I reckon we'd have millions and millions and millions of women that would say, oh, absolutely. I feel like I've got so much to give, but I just don't live in a culture where I've got the freedom to express it. So what we do is we continue that liberation by doing what? By creating a space where both men and women can express the gift of God that's in their life. And to tell you something else, here's what I've learned about history. If you make room for God to move for both men and women, boy, will He do it. 
In fact, you may be familiar with a, a great preacher and theologian, Charles Wesley. And Charles Wesley, his dad was a preacher. And I'm sure that he came to church and he was impacted by messages and so forth. But I tell you what Charles Wesley used to do. He used to go to his mum's prayer meetings. And, they were, and she would run prayer meetings much larger than this church. And he would watch these women get in and just pray and intercede. And so much so that when he became a famous preacher himself, when it came time to running the life groups and all the rest of it, he always appointed women leaders because he goes, I've seen their capacity to do great things. You know, in uh, 1906, when the Holy Spirit fell at, the, at Azusa Street, you may have heard of it, Azusa Street Revival, some of the biggest crusades that were ran, some of the largest evangelistic crusades that were run were actually run by women and that they would be leading people to God. Did you know that when they began to send out missionaries overseas, that two thirds of the uh, people that were sent to China were actually women? And I'm saying that here they are and they're changing the world. And when the Spirit moves and when you give Him room and opportunity, boy, do they show up and do some pretty great stuff. You know, actually, last, yesterday, Sarah and I were um, out at uh, Warburton. And as we were um, in, in Warburton, we went to a church. They had a, uh, what do you call it, a market there. And so I was speaking to this lady. I didn't realize that she was the pastor of the church. And I said, hey, um, how long have you been the pastor here? She said, oh, about 11, I think it was about 11 years. I said, oh, how big is your church? And she said, oh, we've got about 15 people that come here. And here she is out in Warburton, faithfully serving and thanking God that she gets to invest into 15 people. That's what she said to me. Boy, I just think what happens when you, when you let women lead? But more so, let me, let me ask this question. What do you think Jesus would have done? What do you think Jesus would have done? Well, listen to this. Did you know that the longest recorded conversation between Jesus and another person was actually with a woman? And not only was it the longest, that makes sense though, right? Doesn't it? Longest recorded conversation, right? I know. But the longest recorded conversation was between Jesus and a woman, and not just a woman, but a woman from Samaria. So let me tell you the story, okay? So Jesus is... um, going with his disciples and they're going through Samaria and they arrive at this well. And as they uh, arrive there, Jesus is tired. So he says, guys, why don't you go into Samaria and get some food and, and stuff and bring it back. I'm just going to hang out here at this well. No problem. While he's hanging out at the well, this woman from Samaria comes, a Samaritan, and Jews hated Samaritans. And, uh, and she was a woman and men would, would never speak to women. In fact, you know, the Jewish men wouldn't even speak to their own wives in the street. It's just the culture. So this woman comes up and he says, hey, why don't you give me a drink? And she says, um, uh, give you a drink. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a, to me to give you a drink? He says, oh, he says, lady, if you knew who it was that was talking to you, you would ask me for a drink and I'd give you living water. And she goes, living water? She says, this, is, this well that's here, this is from our father Jacob. You know, are you saying that you've got a better well than the one that's here? He's, Jesus says, listen, everyone who keeps drinking from this well right here, he says, they're going to keep being thirsty. But if you drink from the well that I'm talking about, it will well up and be a spring of life that will become eternal life and you'll never be thirsty again. She goes, boy, that is better than this well. She goes, that sounds fantastic. I'd love to get some of that water. He goes, no problem. Tell you what, go call your husband and come back here and, and, and let's talk further. She says, well, sir, I don't actually have a husband. He goes, aha, that is correct. You do not have a husband. You've had five and the one you've got now, he's not even your husband either. 
She says, sir, I perceive that you may be a prophet. <laughs> Do you reckon? <laughs> she says, um, our fathers say that we should worship on this mountain. You Jews say that it should be in Jerusalem. You know, she's sort of asking the question, where's the right place to worship? Jesus says to her, you know what? It really doesn't matter. There's coming a time and the time is now where it doesn't matter whether you worship here. If you worship on that mountain, there's coming a time where none of that will matter, where you just begin to worship God in spirit and in truth. And that time, that time is right now. She says, well, I don't know about that. She says, but I know that there's this guy coming, this Messiah that's coming. And when he comes, he'll tell us great things. He's like, yeah, I'm the guy. He revealed to him to this Jewish, to this Samaritan woman, Samaritan woman, that he was the Messiah before he told anyone else. Some people saw it, some people recognized it, but here he is. Do you know that straight after that, the disciples come back, and what do they say? He's speaking with a Samaritan. No, they didn't say that. They said he's speaking with a woman. Like, Jesus, what are you doing? None of them dared ask him about it. But then it says that the woman left. You know what she did? She turns evangelist, goes into a town and begins to preach the gospel to that town. You have got to hear what this guy came and said to me. She's commissioned to be evangelist straight away. She goes out and that entire town begins to be transformed by the words that are coming out of her mouth. Do you know that the next most in spiritually insightful conversation that Jesus had with anyone. The closest thing we have to that was a conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus. And Nicodemus was a man who Jesus began to teach about being spiritually reborn and he couldn't even get it. Nicodemus was the teacher of doctrine in Israel. So here on one hand, you've got Nicodemus, the teacher of doctrine in Israel. But who else does Jesus speak to? A woman, Samaritan, who is famously uneducated, and yet He lays on her the biggest and most outrageous spiritual truths and speaks to her, you know what? I don't reckon Jesus cared that much. I don't reckon He just decided that He was gonna live and operate within the confines of His own culture. Do you know that you would have heard of um, a couple of women, uh, Mary and Martha, and uh, they, they were famously great friends of Jesus. And it says that Mary and Martha would sit at the feet of Jesus and just listen to the things that He would say. And the way that that's actually written, it's almost it's like as if Mary and Martha are actually His disciples and we know that they're not included in the 12. And I get that and I understand that. But the way that it's written, it's the same way that Paul, the apostle, was taught by Gamaliel. It's the same way that it's written as in they would sit at the feet and they would listen to what he'd teach. And he actually took the time to teach them. There's something in that for us. There's something that we can learn from that. You know, Jesus, when it came to time for Him to teach, you know that Jesus would often teach outside the synagogue? Hey, why would He teach outside the synagogue? You know, He always taught where everyone could listen to the things that He wanted to say. And you wouldn't be subjugated. You wouldn't be sectioned off. and You didn't have to sit there or sit here. You could sit wherever you want and just listen to Him. And we know some of these stories because some of these stories include that Jesus fed great crowds. They'd follow Him for days and they'd be hungry. And He'd say, man, we've got to give these guys something to eat. There's one story in the Bible where Jesus feeds a crowd of 4,000 people. How many people were there? How was the size of the crowd? What was the size of the crowd? It's more than 4,000 because they just didn't count women and children. It's just the culture that they lived in. So it says, the Bible says that He feeds the crowd of 4,000. Uh-uh, could have been 10,000. 
we don't know because they didn't count they didn't count women what am I saying I'm saying I think it's time for women to stand up and be counted I think it's time for women to sort of get into that space where they can begin to use the gifts that God has actually put in them that's what I think you know I'm not this whole message I'm not really saying that it's time for men to get out of the way because that would be crazy I'm not saying that you know that we should respond and suddenly people become feminists and it's all about championing the cause of women because it's actually not about championing the cause of women and then the alternative could be you could be chauvinist and just disregard somebody's testimony because of their gender but I don't think that's the answer either in fact you know truth is I think that both both ideas are foolish but here's what I do want to say if you if you're a man and you feel emasculated by the fact that your wife or your spouse or maybe even just some woman that you know has a calling which in your mind this seems to be higher than your own that would be so outrageous to feel emasculated by that because you know the truth is that's just something that God wants to do with that person and it would be such a foolish idea to try to get in the way because it doesn't fit into maybe some of the culture that you've been taught as you grow up it just for me it doesn't make sense and then I think by the same token women you know it's not like you should say get out of my way let me do whatever God's got I want to do this and then go ahead and do it independently of your husband or of of, of men because I think that that's foolish too you know what the Bible says it says that we can't do anything independently of each other the Bible actually says we really need each other here's what 1 Corinthians 11, 11 to 12 says, Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. The truth is, we're all from God. We're all created in His image. We're, you know, we were created to, to in the image of God. We are Imago Dei. And I think God puts great things inside men. And I think He puts great things inside women. And what am I trying to say? Well, here's what I want, really want to do. I want to kind of try to knock out the skylight so that whoever you are, whatever gender you've got, you can begin to shoot for the stars. Because I think that God has put great things inside everyone. And it's time to go for it, no matter who you are, no matter your background, no matter what you've been taught. I think you just got to go for it. You know what? The truth is, I don't know where I'd be today. I don't know where I'd be today if it wasn't for my mum who led my dad to the Lord. If it wasn't for my nan who prays for me all the time. How many of us have praying nanas? My gosh, we need them, you know? I'm sure that my life, I walk through life and I get to enjoy some blessings that are probably put there as a result of my praying nan. I don't know where I'd be without her today. I don't know where I'd be without my wife who's so incredibly supportive and helps me just do life and and, and helps me fulfill the things that are in my life. I'm saying that we need each other. So what would I really say to you? Well, I would say this, since the gifts and call of God are irrevocable, you might as well pursue them because when you get to the end of your life, if you didn't live the life you know God created you for, man, will you be filled with disappointment? Man, will you be filled? You just say, I, I, I missed that opportunity. You have to go for it. You have to give it everything that you've got because I'll tell you what, the world needs you. And I'm saying, and I'm saying specifically to to women, men need you. And the truth is, is that we actually need each other. 
Can we stand together this morning? We trust you enjoyed this week's message. For any more information about Activate Church, check out our website, www.activatechurch.com or download our app online and have a great week.